0: Good morning, grace and peace to you. Special greetings to those who are watching in our live stream. Today I have the privilege of concluding a series, an epiphany series on the kingship of Jesus. Uh, Over the past two Sundays, Pastor Jones has preached on the king, how Jesus is the king of our identity and how he is the king over our daily life. This morning I was asked to preach on Jesus as the king of our greatest hope. And uh, I think it would be appropriate for me to say that, uh, and perhaps to warn you, that what I'm about to preach on contains spoilers, good spoilers, spoilers that we need to hear about what is to come about the truth of what God is at work doing right now and what he will do in his return. Little theologians, uh, if you are able, if your parents permit, um, would you consider drawing a picture of a beautiful morning sunrise, the beginning of a beautiful new day? Well, this is a lengthy passage from Revelation This is the last chapter, the last section, the last recorded words of our king before he returns. And so let's listen and hear them with great diligence here from Revelation 22 beginning in verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evil ones still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. surely I am coming soon amen come Lord Jesus the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all amen would you pray with me our gracious heavenly father we thank you that the reign of your son is good news for sinners we thank you that you've not abandoned us to the powers of this world but we have confident assurance that your son is coming again. We know this to be true because of what you have already accomplished through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. So help us now to consider your word, to consider his active reign even right now, that our lives would conform more unto the hope that you've given us in your son. Lead us now in your word. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, at the beginning of this new year, it's hard not to reflect back on a year of 2020, a year that was hard for many in many different ways. It was hard physically, emotionally, socially, educationally, financially, vocationally, the list could go on and, and on. If you were to uh, go to the largest search company or search engine, Google, and find out what the most searched items of 2020 were, this is what the top 10 would be. Three of those top 10 would be searches around the coronavirus, different aspects of it. Three would be of of the top 10 searches of what people are looking for questioning about are about celebrity deaths that took place two of those top ten were searches on the election and questions of the results and the last one was a search for PlayStation fives sickness death politics and escape through video games or what people were searching for the most in 2020. And in the final weeks of December, there seemed to be this building hope that somehow the circumstances of 2021 would change. It'd get better in 2021, a new year, a new dawn, a new day will enter in 2021. And yet 10 days into our, our year of 2021 and not a lot has changed. In fact, it seems like things have even gotten worse and intensified. Doctors and medical personnel tell us that the p- pandemic, despite having a vaccine, is likely to continue for many months. Hamilton County records of, of COVID cases is actually at an all time high. We still continue to live in this world where our friends and loved ones are on a, a video screen and we're socially distanced. Our political system feels more divided than ever. Even with what took place on Wednesday, we're reminded that we're in even more desperate need for healthy leadership. And even in the frustrations and challenges of the circumstances around us, the external, there's so much in the internal of our hearts. The broken relationships that we live, the missing fellowship. The longing to be restored, sorrow and pain in our hearts and bodies, in our minds. Broken hearts, broken bodies, broken relationships, broken systems, what do we do with it all? Yesterday we had a presbytery meeting and uh, as we were contemplating all the challenges of the day, during a season of prayer, one of our older pastors prayed. Lord, I don't even know what to pray. This day, you may feel dried out and weary, perhaps with anxieties or fears, sorrow, sadness. You might even feel hopeless. And in this letter and book that the Lord gives us in the book of Revelation, they were pictures, images, visions of what is to come. And they were coming to a people who likely felt much like we did. The church at the time was numerically insignificant. They were confused and divided over all sorts of significant theological questions of the day. Persecution had begun. And it was about to increasingly intensify. And even though they knew that Jesus had, had conquered sin and death, that he had been raised from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that he reigned, they knew the gospel, that sin and death, the reign and tyranny of the kingdom of darkness, has ended in the coming of Jesus. They still knew they needed hope to face the challenges of the day, to see the, the effects of what sin and death that still linger in our world they knew that they needed hope. And it's the Lord God who gives us this book of Revelation as hope in his sovereign hand in the true reality of the things to come and the things that are. Our great hopelessness comes because of a world that lives in tension with a world of sin and death and the kingdom that is to come of the beloved son. And so we have these last and final recorded words, these last thoughts of Jesus as as he records these, these words to give us hope and life to face a day of uncertainty. We're going to look at this passage, this section, and please know there is way too much for us to examine in great depth today. But I'd encourage you to read this passage over and over in the days to come. To study it, to see the reign of Jesus as our hope. This is a formative hope. It's a formative hope in our hearts and lives. It's not designed to just give us information on what's to come. It's to actually shape us into being his people prepared to face the day. And so we see this this formative hope in two ways we're going to look at in this passage. The first way is that that the hope is in a coming kingdom. And then the second way is, is the hope in the coming king. Two points. The first one is the coming kingdom. This coming kingdom is a kingdom of complete renewal. The book of Revelation, the Apostle John, he's given these images of Jesus' sovereignty, his his reign over all things, over all areas of life. And if we just start, even in just chapter 20, we see some unbelievably astounding things. In in, in the end of chapter 20, uh, we we see that, that the picture contains a funeral service. But it's a funeral service unlike any other funeral services that have come before. Because this funeral service is the death of death in Hades. It's the death of the reign of death. The people of God will outlast death in this world. And it continues from there. Uh, from, from chapter 20 to chapter 21 of this beautiful picture, a heavenly city, Jerusalem, new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, beautifully adorned. This is a city that no one has ever seen on this earth. There is no city like it. In it, the coming king brings lasting healing and restoration Lasting peace among the nations. All of the burdens and the effects of sin and death are completely undone. And if you are overwhelmed today, the coming of Jesus is the complete overwhelm of sin and its effects. Nothing will be left of cancer. Nothing will be left of Parkinson's. Nothing will be left of the coronavirus. There will be no more wars. No racial divisions. No mistrust in our leaders. No more lies. Sin in our hearts will be gone. We have no idea what the full freedom of what that kingdom will look like. But we know that we will will be fully and completely healed. To instruct us that this isn't simply wishful thinking. That this isn't just some abstract hope. We receive in this passage in chapter 22, we receive three times Jesus telling us, He is coming soon. In biblical language, as many of you know, to repeat something once is to, to emphasize its importance. Truly, truly I say unto you. But to repeat something three times It reflects the culminating completeness of it, the certainty of it. Just like in Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is our Lord. There is nothing more holy than our God. And in this passage, we see, I am coming soon, repeated three times, because there is nothing more certain than Jesus' return. He says it in verse 7, I'm coming soon. In verse 12, I'm coming soon. Verse 19, surely I am coming soon notice how he even qualifies it he's not only coming he's coming soon it's imminent as christians we have the we must have the continual mindset that jesus is going to return soon it's his promise and the imminent return of jesus is also formative in our hearts look with me in verse 7 He starts out, I'm coming soon, and then later, and blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. The first response to the knowledge that Jesus is coming soon is that those are blessed, they're joyous, those who keep the words of this prophecy. That word keep, it it means to guard, it means to hold fast to it. And what Jesus is saying here is, is the way you prepare for his return, the way you face the uncertainties of the day, is to hold fast to his promise as if your life depends on it, because it does, because there's nothing else in this world that is certain like his return. What are the things in our lives that we tend to hold on to or that we tend to guard no matter what? What are the things in our lives that are worth zealously defending? What well, Jesus is saying at the top of that list is his reign and his coming over sin and death. As you know, we're all inundated with knowledge constantly voices that we're hearing all over voices from television or in the news and social media and and many times we like those voices they're encouraging to us and sometimes we're inundated with voices that make us angry and are overwhelmed but to listen to those voices constantly we need to out saturate those voices with the word of god with the promises of what God's doing. And to put it another way, uh, do we listen more to the voices around us or do we listen to the voice of God? We must be diligent to hold fast to God's word above all else because some things happens when we do, when we understand more and more of his kingdom. We, we start to live more and more with the hope of his kingdom. And it's a surprising kingdom I mean, consider the characteristics of this kingdom. If we go back in in the Bible to Matthew chapter 5, we read the Beatitudes, the characteristics of the kingdom of God. And they're odd. They're strange in this world. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake are those who were persecuted. I remember as a child hearing those and thinking to myself, well, I guess I can take Peacemaker. That sounds like a good one. <laughs> but of course, we can't pick and choose these. These are all interconnected characteristics of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. when we understand these characteristics in light of who the king is and what he's done in the world, that he sets his glory aside to bring restoration in the world through his obedience to his father's will, how he redeems the broken places of of the world. When we see what that restoration ultimately looks like, And how our hearts begin to attune to those values and those characteristics of the kingdom. When we see that, when we experience that, then we're left in awe of what his kingdom is. That's what happens to the Apostle John here. He witnesses the full picture. He he listens and sees and and understands what's coming. And and he's so overwhelmed by what he sees that he falls on his knees and begins even worshiping the messenger of this great and beautiful news. He can't contain his worship and it's quickly redirected. The messenger turns him not away or away from himself and, and to the one who is bringing about that kingdom. Worship God alone; the awe belongs to God alone, to no one else, because only God brings a kingdom of complete renewal, only His reign. And then we see that this coming kingdom is also a kingdom with a warning. Just as the Apostle or John records these three coming statements of Jesus that He is coming, so also He receives. Three statements of warning about this coming kingdom. We see the first one in verse 11. It's a statement that should provoke sadness in our hearts because there's some who are unwilling to receive and find the hope in the reign of Jesus. Verse 11, let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Verse 11 lists these identities of these people as evildoers. They're defined by their actions, which are evil and lead to defilement. They're consumed by their sin. It's a reflection of their hearts. And it builds in the second warning in verse 15, Concerning those who are outside this great city that, that God has brought. They're unwelcome. Because not only do their identities lead to evil, but we're told that they love evil. It's at the end of the verse. Sin which, which breaks fellowship with God and breaks fellowship with one another. They love that which destroys as a side note, if you struggle today with wondering whether or not you belong to Jesus, if you struggle to hate your own, in hating your own sin, know that to hate sin is a grace of the Holy Spirit working in your heart to convict you and call you to life in him. But it's not so with these who are defined in verse 15, for they love their sin. And then lastly, in verse 18, we see this third warning. Those who would dismiss God's word, they treat it lightly, adding and taking away according to their own authority. They've set themselves up to be the authoritative kings of their own kingdom. And the word tells us that God adds plagues and removes access to life and community. He gives them over to their loves, their own failed kingdoms. The hope that is coming does not come from us. It's not built on our own authority. The hope we have as believers in Christ Jesus is in his coming kingdom, which is unlike any other kingdom. It brings restoration. How else do we see the reign of Christ as our formative greatest hope? We see it in the second point. Jesus' reign is formative for our hope. Because he is the coming king. Look with me in verse 13. Jesus declares three things he declares about himself in this passage. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Pastor theologian Dennis Johnson describes it this way. He's the only, the one and only incomparable and eternal God who stands sovereign at history's dawn and sunset. History hinges on the reign of Jesus. This is not a tug of war, good or or evil battle. Everything in creation belongs to him. All of our power and finances, all of our strength, even our ability to get up in the morning, is because of our King. Pastor Billy Graham, in a very famous sermon, he said this about the reign of Jesus. He says, you're not going to know what God is doing in the world today. If God told us what he was doing in the world, we wouldn't believe it. But don't think for a moment that God has given up and God's abdicated and left his throne. He hasn't, he's still on the throne. And those of us that know him, put our trust in him and in him alone. I don't put my trust in Washington. I don't put my trust in the United Nations. I don't put my trust in myself. I don't put my trust in money. I, don't put my tr- I only put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because when all else fails, crumbles and shatters he'll be there he is the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end he's the book ends of history but he doesn't stay on the in the ends of history he enters into history look down in verse 16 he says in the second name way of describing himself i jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches i am the root of and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Lord Jesus says it very strangely here. You see, in other passages in Jeremiah 23 and 33, we read about the branch of David, the the one who comes out of David. But Jesus says something different here. He says he's the root. He's the one from before David, the one to whom David owes all of his authority and power. And kingship as we read in first and heard in 1st Samuel 13 this morning King Saul had a kingdom God had given him his authority came from God his his authority was for the purpose of a great mission that that was supposed to be an honoring obedience to the father's will but Saul was fearful he was overwhelmed by the circumstances of the invading troops around him and because of his fears And because of his own sin and his own heart, he sought to save his own life. He sought to force God's hand. He disobeyed. He disobeyed the one who had called him and who would provide for him. And who established him as king. And the kingdom is taken away. But King is, not, but Saul is not our King. Our King is the Lord Jesus, the Unfailing One. He who was willingly rejected, mocked, tortured, and crucified, because he obeyed his Father, because he was building a different kingdom. And he tells us in Mark eight thirty-five: For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake, for his sake and the Gospels will save it. The Lord Jesus sets up all nations and all authorities and all powers. They all rise and fall at his will. He has the power and the authority. And the third aspect or description that we see of Jesus is later in that verse that he's the bright morning star. The reign of Jesus is the beginning of a new day. When you get up in the mornings and you see the sunrise, before you see the sun, you see radiance of of the beauty of the sun coming. You see the darkness ending. And the bright morning star is that beginning of a new day. It's a new age, a new kingdom that will consume the earth. But until the arrival of that bright morning star Jesus says that he has given his people to be light in the world, to be the rays that are popping up in the darkness before the sun arrives. We are the light of the world because we live under the reign of Jesus as his people, because our hope is in tomorrow, not in today. And so because of the reign of Jesus, because we are the light of the world, we show love and we seek out unity and we build one another up. We seek to proclaim a kingdom of kindness and mercy and justice and love. There's an interesting story I just want to briefly share with you. It's from 1607. Three ships consisting of about 105 people, men and children. They traveled over from England to set and build a new colony. And they actually formed Jamestown. Uh, as the first established colony in the new world among those 105 people where a man was a man named uh, Robert Hunt you may not know that name very well but Robert Hunt was a pastor he wasn't a well-known pastor he hadn't written any books and uh, seems like his church ministry traveled a lot he didn't necessarily have a stable church home There's not even a picture of him. But Robert Hunt left England. He left behind his wife and two children, not knowing what his life would be like in a number of reports of failed attempts to settle the New World. He was the first to conduct a communion service in the New World. It was a hard trip. Once they arrived, uh, the settlement didn't have clean water. And there were infightings that happened throughout all the the new uh, group of people that were there. They all thought different things ought to have happened. And there was a fire, and it destroyed his pastoral library. Destroyed all the clothes he had except for the clothes on his back. And the things that are known about Pastor Hunt... (laughs) the things that are recorded, because he only lived two years after settling, was that he never complained about the significant losses that he endured. Whether it was possessions, whether it was leaving his family behind, whether it was an uncomfortable location and a series of of, of hard disputes he had to peacemake among the new settlers in the new land. And the second thing that's known about him is that he was filled with a love of the coming of Jesus. And his hope was that this new land that he was coming to to preach and teach and give his life to would hear and know about the love of Jesus and the coming of a kingdom and a reign that will go all around the world. Currently, the world knows the reign of Jesus because of the light of the people of God who live out the love of their King. These are the people in verse 14 who've been washed. They know their clothes are filthy and dirty, they're in need of being cleansed, and they know Jesus is the only source of cleansing, their King. And so, like Pastor Hunt and the generations of those before and after, we join in the longing of this coming for this kingdom. Those who are thirsty, those who feel hopeless and dried out and weary from the uncertainty of the worlds, these are the thirsties. These are the pastors who don't know what to pray. These are the ones in need and to all come. Come to the water of life. Come with open arms because there's nothing you can pay to gain this water. It is free. And so if you hear the longing and have that longing of the reign of our great king... May we join our voices with the voices of those throughout history, time and space, who long for his coming, who long for the hope of his coming reign. Attuned by the Spirit of God, may we too say together, come, Lord Jesus. And in response, the final word, the last recorded word, the grace of of the Lord Jesus be with all amen let's pray Heavenly Father your reign is our hope blessed be you the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for according to your great mercy you have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of your son Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance to a kingdom that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by your power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We long to see that kingdom come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.